Next week, and we are going to be, next week on Sunday, we will be um, doing kind of a more Christmas-themed message. And then, of course, on Christmas Eve, that'll be a pretty Christmas-themed message as well. See those passages that we're going to look at in the book of John in your bulletin. This morning, go ahead and open up your bulletin inside. You'll find the sermon notes page, again, with an application guide on the back that might help you uh, as you walk through, as I walk through this last last chapter in the book of Jonah today. You know, sometimes when we open up God's Word, whether it's us opening it up on our own in our home or wherever it is that you read the Bible, or whether it's somebody standing in front of you like I am today and opening up God's Word, sometimes it is very encouraging and comforting and filled with great hope. And sometimes it feels more like you just hit your thumb with a hammer or drop something on your toe, or even like a sword that is piercing you even to the depths of your bones. We're warned about that in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, God's Word says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We believe that's true because it says it in God's Word. So we believe that as, as I read God's Word here in a moment, He might have the power as we come to understand what it is that He's communicating, that He might, through His Word, come and make us uncomfortable sometimes. That He might judge and discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart, and it might hurt as the sword divides even joint and marrow, bone and marrow. And so, that's what I'm kind of expecting might happen today. We're going to ask ourselves some tough questions today, and primary among them is this question. Is it possible that I'm very thankful that God saved me, but there are others that I'd rather see Him judge? I don't really want them to get His mercy. I'm good with God showing me His mercy, but am I also good with God showing others mercy, or would I rather see Him judge others? That's a question we're going to have to wrestle with today. Now, if all we had was Jonah chapters 1 through 3, which is often the way that the story of Jonah is told. You hear Jonah, the story of Jonah told, and they tell chapters 1 through 3. That's often the way that we hear it. And if that's all we had, we would have this great story of Jonah, the disobedient prophet, called by God to go and preach to the evil Ninevites. But he's scared, and so he runs away. And he runs away the opposite direction, and they find out, the pagan sailors find out he's trying to escape from God. And when God pursues Jonah with a storm, they know the only hope that they have to survive is that they throw Jonah over the edge. So Jonah gets thrown over the edge, and God pursues Jonah with his mercy by sending a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And Jonah lives inside the, way, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Chapter 2, Jonah prays. He's very thankful that while he was drowning and sinking into the depths, that God saved him by his grace and mercy. And so he tells God he's thankful by praying. And then at the end of chapter 2, the, the great fish spits Jonah out onto the dry land. And we get to chapter 3, Jonah gets a second chance. God is so merciful. He gives Jonah a second chance to go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah obeys.
And immediately, these evil Ninevites, known for being evil and violent, they hear the message that Jonah shares with them. They believe God, and they repent. They turn away from their evil, violent ways, and God relents from the disaster that he had said he would send on them. It sounds like just a nice, happy, warm, fuzzy kind of story. And then we have chapter 4, which is what we're going to read today. If you're able to, would you stand as we read God's Word? If you're looking for the book of Jonah, which I'm doing right now, it's one of the minor prophets. Uh, So that means it's a short book. It's not minor in importance. It's just minor because it's short. It's the last 12 books of the Old Testament are called Minor Prophets, and Jonah's right in the middle of that about. Here is the Word of God from Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city, and sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help me to clearly communicate it this morning, and that you would prepare our hearts to hear it, and that where your word Your spirit working through your word needs to come and to pierce our hearts, to cause us to be uncomfortable, to to judge and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and our minds. God, I pray that your spirit would come and do that for your glory here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points this morning, and the first and the third are the same. Okay, we're going to spend a lot of time, I'm not going to do much application up front, we're just going to walk through this story so that we're sure that we understand it, and we see what's going on in the book of Jonah, 
and then we're going to spend some time at the end doing some application to us today. Okay? So, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Point is this, God is merciful to others, and Jonah is angry. Now, I told you, remember how verse the, the end of chapter 3 ended? Well, let's go ahead and look at it. Chapter 3, verse 10. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Here's how, this is like the happy ending. You could write, and they lived happily ever after after this, and it would sound really, really nice. Wrap it up in a bow. Cute story, right? Here's what it says. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Sounds great. But, did you see the first word? In chapter 4, verse 1. First word in chapter 4, verse 1 is, but. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So God sends Jonah, and he finally obeys. He preaches a message, and the people that he preaches the message to repent of their sin. They believe God God does not now send the disaster on them. And Jonah's mad. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry. Okay, verse 2. What what was he angry about? What's the deal? Verse 2, listen, this is interesting. Look at verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We might think if we just read chapter 1 that Jonah didn't want to go preach in Nineveh because he was scared of the Ninevites. After all, they were evil and violent. So it makes sense that he was scared to go preach to them. But that's not why chapter 4 tells us that in chapter 1, Jonah disobeyed. Jonah disobeyed in chapter 1. Why? Not because he was scared of Ninevites, but because he knew God. And he knew what God was like. Jonah went to Awana. Well, not really. But he memorized some Bible verses. And I read from Psalm 103 this morning, and you can see it in many other spots in the Old Testament. And Jonah was a prophet. He probably knew God's word pretty well. Right? And so Jonah would have known what God was like because he memorized some Bible verses. And he knew that God was rich in love, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He knew that because he had memorized that. And we just sang it this morning in that song, 10,000 Reasons. We sang it. We were happy about it, right? You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great. Your heart is kind. And we just want to praise him for it. Jonah knows the same thing about God, and he's mad. He's mad about it. He's like, I knew what you were like, God. I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. But how angry is he? He's mad about this. How angry? Verse 3. Verse 3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, we're just better for me to die than to live. He's pretty angry. Right? Jonah's pretty angry that he's now saying, 
I'm so mad that you didn't pour out your judgment on them. I'm so mad that you were a gracious and merciful God towards them that I just want to die. Now, you've got to wonder, at this point, is this when God, I mean, how many chances is God going to give to his prophet? Is this when God finally just snuffs him out for good and says, listen, don't you get it? But he doesn't. Instead, verse 4, God asks him what seems like a very patient question. Verse 4, God says, it says, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? God doesn't come right after Jonah and point out his selfish heart. God just asks Jonah a question, and Jonah's going to have to do some heart searching himself. That's all God's doing. Saying, Do you do well to be angry? Think about it, Jonah. What, what, are, what are you mad about? Do you do well to be angry? I'm, I'm merciful to some people who repented of their sins, and believe me, I know they were evil. I know they were violent. Are you so bent on seeing them get destroyed that you don't even want me to be merciful and gracious towards them? Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? It's a good question. I'm guessing if Jonah got his blood drawn at this point, his uh, bitterness levels would be off the charts. This, this, This guy's mad. He's angry. He's got something against these Ninevites, so much so that he just wants to see them experience God's judgment. He doesn't want them to get God's mercy. They didn't deserve it, after all, thinks Jonah. Right? They didn't deserve God's mercy. They had spent their whole lives being evil and violent and worshiping pagan gods. They didn't deserve God's mercy. So Jonah's mad. But Jonah's not always mad. Look at verses 5 and 6. Jonah's not always mad. When God is merciful to Jonah, Jonah's happy. Look at verses 5 and 6. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He's still holding out hope, it seems, that God's going to do some destruction. Remember, he thinks that they deserve it. Go get them, God. I'm going to actually just get away because I don't want to be a part of it. I don't deserve your wrath, God. I deserve your mercy. So I'm going to sit in this spot outside of the city, in the shade, all nice and comfy for me, and I'm going to watch God destroy them. That's what I would like to see. Verse 5, or that was verse 5, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. And he made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. How merciful is God? This this disobedient, reluctant, selfish prophet wants to see God do some destruction, so he makes himself a spot, and God sends a plant to give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. God is so merciful. And this makes Jonah happy. Did you see verse 6 where it says that? It says, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Before he was exceedingly angry because God was merciful to other people. Now God gives him a plant so he can be more comfy in the shade. He's all giddy about it. Right? Happy day for Jonah because God is merciful to me. I don't care about everybody else, but God is merciful to me, so I'm happy. Right? 
it seems that Jonah would be happy if God destroyed the bad guys. Right? That's what would make Jonah happy. And it's certain that Jonah's happy when God makes his life better so that he doesn't get sunburnt. Jonah likes it when God is merciful to him. But Jonah doesn't stay happy. We've got verses 7 through 11. Okay? So we get to verse 7. Why is Jonah not happy? Well, here's the deal. Jonah's not happy when Jonah's not comfortable. And God wants him to see that. And instead of God just telling him that, instead of God just saying, Jonah, are you only happy when I'm merciful to you? Are you only happy when everything in your life works out just as you had planned? Is that the only time you're going to be? God doesn't say that. Here's what God does. God appoints. So far, God in the book of Jonah has appointed a great fish to save Jonah. Then he appointed a great plant to come up. And now God's going to do two more appointments. This time, pursuing Jonah with what I think is some discipline to help him to see what's going on in his heart. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, this is verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God wants Jonah to see what's going on in his heart. And so Jonah, who was made happy because of the plant, God sends something to take away the plant. He sends a worm, and then he sends this east wind that brings in the scorching heat. So now Jonah, who was happy because he was comfy, is no longer comfy. And now Jonah's no longer happy. Right? He wants to die. And a quick application point here, if we could, would be to look at our own hearts and see if we see a little bit of Jonah in ourselves. Am I only happy when God makes me comfy? Am I only happy? Am I exceedingly glad when everything in my life works out just the way I had hoped that it would work out? And as soon as it doesn't work out in some way, where God might be bringing about discipline to show me what's going on in my heart, which is good for me, I might interpret it as, I don't think God cares, or God's not answering my prayer, or, or God must be angry. Is it possible that we're more like Jonah than we think? Good question for us to ask. Then we go on to Jonah chapter 4, verse 9. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 9, God's word says this, But God said to Jonah, beginning he's going to ask him the same question from verse 4, Do you do well to be angry? But this time he says, For the plant. And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Wow. God asked Jonah again if he does well to be angry. This time, first it was he was angry about God's mercy to the Ninevites. Now he's angry about God taking away the plant that made him comfy. This time Jonah answers, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And here we see the depth of Jonah's selfishness. It's been revealed by God through the appointment of a plant, a worm, and a wind. Those circumstances brought into Jonah's life by God 
were the means by which God showed Jonah how selfish he was. Is it possible that sometimes the circumstances that are coming about in our lives are given to us by God that he might reveal where our hearts still need some work to be done? I think so. Verse 10. God is going to be more explicit now. He's kind of just shown Jonah by asking him questions and by bringing about circumstances. Now God is going to be very specific. In verse 10, he says this to Jonah. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah has pity, right? Jonah's not a heartless guy. He has pity. Your translation might translate that care or concern or compassion. Jonah's not a compassionless guy. He's got a heart. He's concerned about stuff. But what did he pity, according to verse 10? What does God tell him? You had pity for the plant that grew up in a day and perished in a night. You're looking at what you're concerned about, Jonah, what you care about. What you have great concern over, Jonah, is you. That's what you care about, Jonah. When it comes right down to it, you care about you. A plant that made you comfortable. That's what you're care that's what you're caring about, Jonah. And God is going to contrast that with what he cares about. Verse 11. God says, "Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle?" God's pity extends even to the cattle of Nineveh, let alone the 120,000 persons who are so ignorant. Remember, they've been known so far as evil and violent. Now it kind of seems like ignorant as well. They don't even know their right hand from their left. And God says, you want to know where my heart is, where I have pity, where I have great concern and compassion, where your concern and compassion is mainly about you and your comfort and security? I have a lot of care and compassion and pity for lost people who are evil and violent. I care about them. And so we have to ask some hard questions to ourselves. I was wrestling with this a lot this week. Like I said at the beginning, God's word sometimes feels more like a hammer on your thumb or a sword that's cutting into uncomfortable places. I was asking myself the question, am I ever happy about God's mercy for me when I'd prefer that God bring about judgment for others? Ask yourself that question. Am I ever happy about God's mercy for me while preferring that God would judge others? Do I ever want other people to just get what they have coming to them? Maybe for you it's personal. It's someone in your life who has caused you pain and hurt. Or maybe they've caused pain and hurt to someone that you loved. And in your heart, if you're honest, you don't want them to receive God's mercy. You'd rather see them receive God's wrath. You'd rather see them get what's coming to them. Because they've hurt you and they've hurt people that you love and you're mad. Or maybe, this is where I was wrestling with it more this week. 
Maybe it's a whole nation or a people group that have shown themselves to be especially evil. Getting to the point where you might be willing to say, I just hope they all die and go to hell. We might not say it, but that's what our heart's thinking. We're more like Jonah than we think. So as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking, of course, as many people are, of the horrific, recent, violent, evil events that have been happening and a rising fear in our country about the work of radical Muslim jihadists. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about a number of things. One, we need to pray. We need to pray for those who are at work at all sorts of, just like I did earlier when we prayed this morning, praying for those who are protecting us in a number of different ways that we take for granted. We can live in comfort and security because there are people who have taken up whatever whatever responsibilities and sacrifices have to be made in order that we can live in comfort and security as they seek to stop the spread of evil here and around the world. And we're grateful for that. And we need to pray for them. We need to pray for our leaders. As our leaders have decisions to make about how to respond militarily, how to respond politically, how to respond to the refugee crisis that comes out of the recent events and and things like that. We need to pray for our leaders. There's a lot of ideas out there about what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing, right? And most people share them passionately, whether they're currently in office, whether they want to be in office, or whether they're just people on Facebook, right? People have opinions and easily and quickly share them, sometimes using some very strong language. And one of the benefits we have of living in a free country like we do is we can speak freely. And we ought to share our ideas and talk things over. And as Christians, if that is our primary identity, if we are known first because we are followers of Jesus Christ, freed from our slavery to sin, we need to allow God to come and pierce our hearts and ask ourselves some tough questions sometimes. Here's the reality. I'm just going to lay it out this way. Here's the reality. There are radical Muslims in the world who believe that we deserve to die and suffer eternal judgment because we are Christians. And their desire is to see that happen, and they are willing to kill in order to make that happen. And this is evil. Right? That is the reality. And so our government is faced with a challenging question. Our government is faced with the question, how do we protect our people? How do we protect our people from evil? And according to Romans chapter 13, verse 1, those that are doing wrong ought to fear the government. Because, for a quote from verse 4, the government does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we need to pray, like I said, for our leaders and those that are in positions to to protect and to make decisions on how to go about protecting us. We need to pray that they will make the right decisions that will stop the spread of evil in our world and protect the lives of innocent people worldwide. We need to pray about that. But the challenging question for us as Christians is an additional question to that question that we pose to our government. And that is this question. Do we want the same thing for them that they want for us? Do we want radical Muslims to die and suffer eternal punishment? 
Because as Christians, we believe that all who die without trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord will be judged eternally. And is that what we want to happen? I'm going to tell you this story. I'll send out maybe via email or put it on our Facebook or something, a video that I saw earlier this week. It's a, it's a video. Uh, it won't show very well. Um, it's, it's, some of it's not in English, and you can't read the subtitles very well on here. Um, but it's a story of nine former residents of what is or what was the second largest city in Iraq, the city of Mosul. And in June 2014, the city was taken over by ISIS. In, listen to this. In the course of two days, I can't imagine this. In the course of two days, 500,000 people fled from that city. And then ISIS closed off the roads. The nine people who share their story in this video are all Christians, school principal, taxi driver, lecturer at the university, a medical student, a police officer, all forced to flee. One man tells of the decision that he had to make. The decision that he had to make was this. He was told, you can renounce your faith in Jesus and declare yourself to be a Muslim, or you can give us a $100,000 ransom and we'll let you leave, or you can die. That's the choice that he's given. This man had a home and a vehicle and a business that he could sell. He did that, came to them with $100,000 and was released. This man, who's now a refugee seeking a visa to live in Canada, says this. He talks, imagine this, he talks about the joy that he felt in being persecuted for Christ. Here's what he said. He quoted Jesus when Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And he followed that up by saying, I'm not even worthy to be persecuted for Christ. There's a story of a 20-year-old medical student. She and her family had to flee with nowhere to go. They knew ISIS was behind them and they had to go. They didn't know where to go, though. She's also a refugee seeking somewhere to live right now. And she asked this question. Can you forgive when someone hits you? What if they take your house and your photos, your memories? What, when they, what about when they take your future away and make you suffer? That was not easy for me at that time. You can imagine. Everything taken away from her, and here she is, a Christian, saying, I want to forgive them. It's not easy. They just took away everything. Then there was one more man that I want to tell you about. A man who lost everything, and you know what he says? put the quote up there. Here's what he said. I forgive them with all my heart, and we love them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that their hearts and their minds will be changed. Whatever we think about how our government ought to respond, I think that that's the way that we as Christians ought to respond. We need to keep praying for protection. We need to keep praying that God would give our leaders wisdom as they make decisions with how to engage and how to protect us from evil. But we also need to pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, the hearts and minds of these people will be changed. Our goal in the end is not to turn them into peaceful Muslims. Because peaceful Muslims, just like radical Muslims, if they die without a faith in Jesus Christ, will suffer eternal punishment in hell. We don't want that. I didn't read to you earlier. I meant to read to you, read to you earlier. Ezekiel 33, 11. 
Uh, you can turn there if you want. Um, but in Ezekiel 33:11, God says this: "Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live." That's the God that we worship. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, like Jonah was seeming to set up to do. He just wanted to see God destroy him. We worship a God who doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. His desire is that the wicked would turn from their ways and live. We want to have God's heart, not Jonah's heart. By the way, the city of Mosul, those, the, the stories I was just telling you from, that city in Iraq is built on the ruins of an ancient Assyrian city. You know what that city is called? Nineveh. Nineveh is now still, this happened in June of 2014, Nineveh, or modern-day Mosul, is still controlled by ISIS. And the last verse of Jonah is this. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? May we answer, yeah, yeah, God, you should. You should pity Nineveh, that they too might recognize that their ways are evil and destructive against other people, but most of all against you. And our desire is that they would come to believe Jesus and repent of their sin. And we ought to be praying about that. May they, like Nineveh in the time of Jonah, repent of their evil, turn away from their violence, and put their faith in the one true God that they might receive His mercy rather than His wrath. We need to be the kind of people that rejoice in God's mercy, not just towards us, but towards those people that we don't think deserve it. Because in the end, we don't deserve it. We worship a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, gracious and merciful, and relenting from disaster. Jonah was upset about that. I don't want to be upset about that. I want to rejoice in that. Romans chapter 5 says this, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're the kind of people that rejoice in God because while we were His enemies, while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son Jesus to die for us, justifying us and saving us from His wrath so that we could be reconciled to a right relationship with God. If you're in here this morning and you haven't experienced that, it is reality that those who have not put their faith in Jesus will experience eternal judgment. God doesn't desire that. We don't desire that. And so would you hear the good news of Jesus? That while you were yet a sinner, while you're just doing your thing, doing life your way, that God loved you enough to send His Son 
that you might be reconciled to a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And he did it while you were still a sinner. There's a lot of stuff to get happy about at Christmas. I think that's that's probably the best thing to get happy about at Christmas. We're happy that God's shown his mercy to us, and we greatly desire that God would show his mercy toward others. Wrestle with that this week, would you? If you want to argue with me, if you if you if you I mean, that's fine. If you're struggling with something, this is hard stuff. I'm not trying to share any sort of viewpoint politically or anything like that. I'm just saying, hey, as Christians, this is what I think we're called to do. We're called to pray that people who are evil and violent would repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. Even as we pray for those that are responsible for protecting us, praying for their protection and praying for God to give them wisdom. Praise be to God that we have a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. My desire, hopefully your desire, is that he would change us starting on the inside, right, with our hearts, as we do some examining work in our hearts, that he would change us from the inside out. We're going to sing about that here in just a moment. But as the worship team comes out to lead us in that, would you pray with me? Father, come again. I pray that you would help us not to be hardened uh, when your spirit comes to soften our hearts. I pray that we would be the kind of people that are more molded by your word and by your heart than we are by what other people around us are saying, even people that we respect and trust. Forgive us for sometimes being very happy, which we should be, about the mercy that you've shown us in Christ while desiring that other people, whether it's Muslims in general or even radical Muslim terrorists specifically, or whether it's people that have hurt us. Forgive us when we desire they would receive your wrath rather than your mercy. It is our desire that a revival would take place, that those that are able to would faithfully proclaim the gospel to all people around them, and that that we would remember that it was while we were yet sinners that Christ came to die for us. That's the message of the gospel. It is good news. It's good news to us that though we were undeserving, all we deserved was wrath and you gave us mercy instead. What a gift. We're thankful for it. And I pray that as we reflect on that, that that would change our minds and change our hearts and mold them to be more like yours. In Jesus' name, amen.